Thanks for joining us for this message from Awakened Church. We believe in the power of God's Word, and we pray that you're encouraged by this message. Now lean in as we hear from God's Word together. We're in this series, Thread of Love, and in this series, what we are uh, talking about, what we're learning, what I hope that you're starting to see is that there is one true story from beginning to end of God's redemptive plan, that on every page in every story, you see a thread of love for God's people. And uh, this week, uh, we're going to see that God gave us pictures to point to the Savior who would fill, who would ultimately fulfill God's promise. And this week, I was reminded that over 20 years ago, which made me feel really old, 20 years ago, I started college for the first time. And I graduated high school and was like, well, I'm done. I don't want to go to school because I didn't like school. I didn't want any part of it, didn't like it. My parents were like, well, you need to go to school. You need a good job. You need a good education. So you're going to school. And so I went to college and I didn't know what I wanted to be when I grew up. I just kind of was like, all right, you know, I'll I'll go figure out what I want to be. Still never knew. Like I had friends who knew what they wanted to be. My wife, uh, she was like, well, I'm going to go be a nurse. She knew exactly what she wanted to be. But I was kind of like, I don't know what I'm going to do. So I did what all my other friends did. And that was, I just decided, well, I'll just go into business school. And I, I really did like business school and enjoyed it. But one of the classes that stood out to me among a few of them was a marketing class that I had. And um, this marketing class, we talked all about how companies will market their products to people. Uh, We talked about how there's these things called test markets that companies like Skittles or M&Ms or Doritos, they'll they'll put their product in certain places around the United States to kind of like test it to see how does this new product work. If if it works really well, then they're going to release it to the whole rest of the United States. Well, um, in fact, a few years ago, I remember M&Ms. I went back to New Mexico. M&Ms, they were doing a red chili and green chili M&M. If you know anything about New Mexico, you know it's all about the red chili and the green chili. And uh, so they released an M&M there. They're testing it out. Well, it didn't do very well because I never saw the red and green chili M&Ms ever again, but it was a test market for that. I learned about that companies would spend lots of money on jingles. Like they needed to make sure that their song stuck in your head. So like if you're getting hungry, like if you're like my kids, they know the Burger King song, right? Like BK, have it your way. Like they sing the song. They know that song. And they have to have a good jingle because I read that they're the worst burger out there for you. So you have the worst burger, got to have the best jingle, right? But if you are, um, if you're looking for insurance, you might think like, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there, right? Like you just, you spend a lot of time, a lot of money with those songs because you want those to come back for people to think about that stuff. But I also learned about the fact that companies spent a lot of money on their logos, that they wanted to make sure that you had brand recognition. Like if you saw that logo, you knew immediately who that was for. You knew the brand, you knew all about it. And so what I thought is we would do a pop quiz. I think everybody loves pop quizzes, right? You don't, but we're going to do it anyways, because here we are, all right? But it's going to be super easy. I'm going to show you a logo, and you just tell me what it is, all right? Here's the first one we've got today. Super easy, right? Okay, who said Wendy's? You're just real funny, real funny. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, no, that's McDonald's, right? Like, we see those golden arches. We think about all of that. Here's another one. What's this one? Starbucks, right? Like, Starbucks is kind of like, I would rather Black Rifle, but I don't know how many of us know Black Rifle, all right? Here's another one. Nike. I read this week that uh, uh, Nike, actually, the lady who made that logo, she only got paid $35 to do that. 
This is a multi-million, billion-dollar company here, the 35 bucks. Well, don't feel too bad for her because she got stock options later, so she's doing just fine, all right? Here's another one. I have lost my wife more times than not in Target. My kids and I have felt like we've, we've lost her, but uh, Target is another one. Here's, here's another logo, the best... Yep, the best uh, technology company out there, right? Like the iPhone lovers out there. Yes, yes. Jacob, our IT guy, was like, don't be surprised if that one doesn't make it up there. He does not like Apple at all. Uh, Here's another one. Shell, we spend a lot of money there with gas, right? Like way too much. And then here's the last one. The New York Yankees, the Lord's team, uh, they, <laughs> they have been to the promised land more times than not, uh, so I'm, I'm excited to watch the Yankees this year. I love the New, New York Yankees. But all these pictures, all these logos, here's what they do. They point to something significant. We go and we immediately go, oh, I know what that is. We recognize it. It points to maybe something that we have, something that's special to us, maybe a place we like to go to. And today what we're going to look at is a story that really is a picture of God revealing his plan to us. And his plan was that he would send a savior named Jesus to redeem us. And so if you have a Bible today, turn to Genesis 22. Genesis 22 is where we're going to be. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 14 today. And if you don't have a Bible, uh, grab your smartphone. You can download the YouVersion Bible app, and uh, there you can take notes. You can follow along with the verses as well. You just need to go to that More tab, the Events tab, and then you'll see Awaken Church Live, and you can follow along there. And if you're taking notes today, the title of the message is um, Jesus, the Better Isaac. Jesus, the better Isaac. And what we're going to see in this story is that God's going to show us that just as Abraham is a father, who is willing to sacrifice his son, Isaac, God, the father, one day would be willing to send his son, Jesus, to be sacrificed for us. See, all throughout the Old Testament, you're going to see these things called typology. And you might be thinking, well, what is typology? Well, typology in its most basic boiled down form is this. Typology is a person or thing in the Old Testament that foreshadows a person or thing in the New Testament. Typology is a person or thing in the Old Testament that foreshadows a person or thing in the New Testament. That's in its most basic form. That's what it is. And you might be thinking, okay, but why do we have typology? Why do we have these pictures? Why are they given? Well, they're given to reveal and to remind God's people about the coming Messiah. See, if we're not careful, we can forget that these people don't have what we have today. We look on this side of history and we see Jesus's birth, Jesus's life, Jesus's death, Jesus's resurrection. We see all of it. And so we can understand all the pieces of the puzzle. If you don't understand all of it, I hope by the end of this series, you'll have a better idea of the story of the Bible. But as Christians, we can cling to the good news of the gospel. We've got Genesis through Revelation. So we see how all of this works, how all of this fits in. But what these people at this time, they didn't have all of that. They didn't have Genesis and Revelation. They didn't have all the books of the Bible. They didn't have the ability to see into the future. They were just living it day by day. Even Abraham, he knew that God promised that the Messiah would come through his family. And so he's able to see it. But but these things are here. These pictures are here to give them a glimpse of his promise. He shows them these pictures to show, hey, I'm a God who keeps his promises. 
and you can trust me. In fact, the Old Test, uh, Hebrews points back to the Old Testament. It even says this in Hebrews 1, long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. So God spoke through pictures to remind that us that we are his chosen people and that the Messiah was going to come and save us. Now, you might be asking yourself, okay, so I understand why we're given these pictures, but what are some of these pictures? Well, I'll give you two from a really uh, 30,000 feet view. And then in Genesis 22, we're going to look a little bit closer here. But the first one we see is in Genesis chapter 3. Sin entered the world. It wrecked havoc on everything. Adam and Eve disobeyed God. And God comes to Adam and Eve. He comes to the serpent. He even comes to us thousands of years later. And he's like, hey, I'm going to make this right. That he's going to send someone that would come and crush the serpent's head. Genesis 3.15. But then we get this beautiful picture of what God's going to do, this picture in verse 21. And it says, And the Lord God made for Abraham and for his wife garments of skin and clothed them. That's a picture of our life in Christ. See, when sin entered the world, God could have said in that moment, Hey, I'm done with you all. I wash my hands with you guys. I'm done. I'm out. But he doesn't. He comes in, he redeems them, he kills an animal in the garden, and with that animal skin, he covers Adam and Eve in their sin and in their shame. It's a small picture that points directly to Jesus, that in our sin, in our shame, Jesus was killed, and his body covers our shame. Exodus chapter 12 is another picture. You can read it later for yourself, but story goes that the Israelites, they're in the land of Egypt, they're slaves. And um, God tells Moses, hey, you're going to lead my people out of the land of Egypt, out of slavery. And so Moses is going to be their leader, but Moses has to go to the Pharaoh, who's kind of like the king of the land there. And he goes to him and he's like, hey, you need to let my people go. And Pharaoh's like, no, you're not the boss. I'm not going to do that. We're going to keep them around a little longer. And God's like, no, you're not the boss. You're going to let them go. And I'm going to send 10 plagues until you do. And so we all know what the 10th plague is. God's going to destroy the firstborn of every uh, family in Egypt. But to God's chosen people, the Israelites, he says, hey, why don't you kill a lamb, a, a, a spotless, perfect lamb, kill that lamb, and then on the doorpost, put the blood of that lamb over it. And the reason why is in verse 13. It says, the blood will be a sign for you on the house where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. Now, when, if we were to read that story out of context, we might be like, well, what's going on here? Like, what are they doing? They're killing lambs, painting doorposts. Like, what is going on in this story? How is this a picture? The story is a picture of another spotless, blameless lamb, and his name is Jesus. And in the New Testament, the Bible says that because of the blood of this lamb, we are covered, that God and his judgment will pass over us because of this lamb that was killed, because Jesus's blood covers our sins. But now we come to this picture of this promise here in Genesis 22. And so what I want to do today is I'm going to read this passage in its entirety. And normally what I'll do is we'll kind of break it apart and and kind of have some points, especially if you're taking outline, kind of helps you see the passage. But we're going to be a little bit different today. I'm going to read the passage in its entirety, and then we're going to circle back and just point how Isaac is a picture, a typology of Jesus. So Genesis chapter 22, 
starting in verse 1. It says this, After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, Here I am. He said, Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and will come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they both, so they went both of them together. Verse seven, and Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. He said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them, together. When they came to the place of which God had told them, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. Verse 11, But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here I am. He said, Do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son, for me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked. Behold, behind him was a ram caught in the thicket by its horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. Verse 14. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mountain of the Lord, it shall be provided. Again, in the time that we have left, I don't have points. If you take notes, just write down what's important. Highlight, underline in your Bible if you can. But we're going to circle back now and see how Isaac is really just a picture of Jesus. And then what we're going to do is we're going to take communion together. But let's look at verse 1. It says this, After these things, God tested Abraham. Now, reading this, you might be like, what is going on here? Like, why is God testing Abraham? What does any of this mean? Well, the word tested means to prove the quality of something. God wanted to prove the authenticity of Abraham's faith. You got to remember, God is omniscient. God knows the future. He knows everything. He knew the heart of Abraham better than Abraham knew his own heart. And so the purpose of this test was not to satisfy God's curiosity. This was not some kind of experiment. God's not on the fence going, well, you know, I don't know if Abraham's going to do what I tell him to do. Let's find out here. This isn't some kind of like cosmic job interview where God's like, well, let's just really see if I'm Abraham's God here. God puts Abraham to a test so that what is within him, that only God can see because God is omniscient. He knows all things. So that's what is within Abraham will come to the surface, will be brought out of him so that all of us who can't see everything who have no idea what's on the inside, can see Abraham's heart. See, this test was meant to reveal the heart of Abraham, his faith in God or his lack of faith in God, his fear of God or his lack of fear of God. 
Did he love God because of the gifts that God gave him? Or did he love God himself? Don't miss this in your own life. The tests that you're going through, the trials, the circumstances that you're in, those are not there in your life allowed by God to see if he can trust you. He's not like, well, let's, let's see here. You know, you've been walking with me for a little while now. I see you reading my word. I see you're praying. We're talking. Let's just kind of put you to the test. Let me see if I can trust you here. The tests in our life are not to see if God can trust us. The tests in our life are to see, do we really trust God? And for God to bring to the surface what's really in our hearts. Do we have faith in God or do we have a lack of faith in God? Do we fear God or do we have a lack of fear of God? Do we love God because, yeah, God, you've given me all these things? Or do we love God himself? James even tells us to count it all joy when we fall into various trials. And we don't have the time to get into all of that stuff and and what is a trial and what is a test and all that. But we did last year go through the book of James. So go to our YouTube page and you can find first study we do, James 1, 1 through 4. We talk all about that. So if you want more in depth about tests and trials, go back and listen to that. Read James. But it's a test of his faith. The story goes on, verse 2. He said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. I want you to let those two verses sink in for just a minute. Read what's going on here. Because here's the thing. We can become so familiar with the story. We're like, okay, we could read this and it just feels like these are details here. But, and we can clearly miss the weight of what is happening in this story. Every phrase of this command that God gives Abraham must have felt like a knife in Abraham's heart. This is no small thing that God is asking Abraham to do. God approaches an old man named Abraham and he's never had kids before. And he says, hey, Abraham, I want you to take your son, your only son, the one that I said that I would give you, the one that you waited 25 years for, the son that I said I would make a chosen nation out of. In fact, I said I would right the wrongs of sin through your family line. And God's like, hey, take that son, the one that you held in your hands, the one that you've watched grow up, Take that son and offer him up as a sacrifice. For many of you, you know I have three boys. And uh, this week they were acting a little crazy in the back of the truck. And uh, because uh, I was trying to get them to calm down and everything, I didn't know what else to do. And because they're pastor kids, I just decided, hey, we're going to do a Bible story. That's what you get. Like that's, you know, like my boys do not like the sound of my voice all the time. In fact, one of them once told me, they were like, dad, we're all kind of sick of your dialoguing right now. So, um, (laughs) and so, you know, like I know that that's going to put them, calm them down a little bit. And so I said, hey, guess what we're learning this Sunday? And I told them the story, and they were familiar with the story. They knew what was going on in the story and all that. And one of them asked me, they were like, Dad, if God told you to do this, would you do it? I was like, nope. That's an easy no. I would not do that. I think all of us, like, I I think I've got faith. I can look at people and go, man, you have more faith. You have more faith. You have more faith. I think no matter where we are on the faith scale, I think all of us, if God said, hey, I need you to do this, we'd all be like, nope, I can't do that. 
But I want you to notice something in these verses here, verses two and three. God never once tells Abraham, hey, here's why I want you to do this. God never once says, hey, Abraham, here's how you're going to explain this to your wife, Sarah. Can you imagine how awkward of a conversation that's got to be? Here's Abraham getting all his stuff together, ready to go on a trip. And Sarah's like, hey, I see you're going on a trip. What's going on? Oh, you know, just going to go worship, make a sacrifice. I'll come back later. Uh, Where's the lamb? And you're coming back by yourself? Like, what's going on? Like, how do you even have that conversation? It's hard. But all of these questions are left unanswered. And again, I'm putting myself in Abraham's place here, and I'm, I'm thinking, man, like, I wonder what the inner dialogue is, because I know what it would be for myself. I can't help but think Abraham's going, are you sure? Why, God? Like, I don't even see how any good's going to come out of this. How are you going to work in this, God? But God doesn't tell him why. He just says, hey, I need you to take your only son, the one that you love, and offer him up as a sacrifice. Here's something I found out this week as I was studying that just kind of blew me away. And I'm, I'm familiar with this passage. I've heard this passage taught before. I know this story. But this just showed me the depth of this passage. Because when the word love here pops up in verse 2, this is the first time the word love shows up. We read about it. And think about how fitting that is for just a minute. Love isn't described. Love isn't first mentioned with Adam and Eve in the garden when they're with God. Love isn't described with our relationship to God or God's relationship to us. The first time the Bible uses the word love is to describe a father's love for his son that he was willing to sacrifice. But then here's what just kind of uh, gets even cooler. Because when you get into the New Testament, Matthew chapter 3, verse 17, Jesus is being baptized. He's dunked under the water. He comes up. It says that the Spirit of God descends on him like a dove. And the Father says this, This is my son whom I love. With him, I am well pleased. Here's the first time in the Old Testament. There's the first time in the New Testament. And here's what's so cool about all of this. The stories point directly to a father's love and the sacrifice that they were willing to make. Go to the New Testament. Jesus would die for our sins in our place. They're both pictures of a father's love. Now, going back to the story, God's like, hey, you need to sacrifice your son. And again, I think if we're all honest, if we're sitting in Abe's sandals right now, I think we'd all be like, I'm not going to do it. I'm going to call in sick tomorrow. I'm going to drag this out. I'm going to postpone this in my life. God, I'm kind of looking at my calendar right now, and it looks like I'm a little busy. Like, I don't think I'm going to be, you know, I hope you understand. Like, I'm not going to make this work. But notice what Abraham does. He doesn't debate God. He doesn't delay. He doesn't question God. What does verse three say? It says, so Abraham rose early in the morning. Like why in the world would you wake up early in the morning? Like this is something that you stay in bed as long as you can. Hit the snooze alarm, lose the alarm clock. Spend some more time with your son. Why would you get up early? You wake up early for things that you're excited for, right? A vacation, Maybe going to Disney World. Like those are things that you wake up early for, not this. But Abraham obeyed right away. See, Abraham understood what obedience was all about. No debates, no delays, no questions. He just got all his stuff ready, 
got the stuff ready for the sacrifice, got some dudes together, got a son Isaac, got a donkey. They headed out. Three days later, they find the place, and that detail's there to show that there was never a delay, never strayed off course, detoured. They did exactly, Abraham did exactly what God told him to do. But then look what Abraham says in verse 5. Stay here with the donkey, and I and the boy will go over there and worship and come back again to you. Read this, and we're like, worship? What does any of this have to do with worship? Listen, worship isn't just about what we sing. Worship is singing, but it's not just singing. Worship is about our heart towards our Heavenly Father and who He is and what He's called us to do. Question for us today is, are you living a life that is worship? Is your life a life of worship? Are you giving God the glory, praising Him for who He is and what He's called you to do? Listen, Abraham did not have a guitar and a stage. What he had was a knife and fire. And he said, I'm going to go worship. And Abraham is walking up this mountain with his son, knowing what he's about to do. And I can imagine Abraham's heart with every single step. He's probably going, what's going on here? What am I doing? I know God's commanded this. I don't understand it, but I've been walking with God for like 50 years now. He's never failed me. I don't understand this, but if I believe God and I go through with this, God will see me through. His his promises will stand because they always do. Hebrews 11, 19 even give us some more insight in this. It says, Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. So Abraham's like, guys, hang back. I'm going to take Isaac with me. We're going to have a little worship sesh, and then we will be right back. Abraham knew they both would return. And I thought about that this week, and it really kind of challenged my faith. And I thought, man, what if I started taking God at his word like this? Not that we're supposed to sacrifice our kids and hope that God comes through. That's not it at all. But for me, I can look back at the faithful years of following God. I know who I am in Jesus. I know what he's done in my life. God's always provided. God's always been good. No matter what mountain I'm walking up, God has always been there. He's always faithful. He is sovereign. He is good. He is faithful. What if we all start approaching God just like that? That no matter the circumstance, the diagnosis, the relationship status, we can look back at faithful years of following God. And even though we don't understand what's happening With every step up that mountain, we could be like, God, I'm trusting you because you are good. Verse seven, when Isaac's like, "Um, dad, where's the lamb? Like, we've done this thing before. Like, where's the lamb in all of this? And Abraham explains that he's really the sacrifice. I don't know if Isaac understood all of that. Maybe he did. Maybe Abraham and Sarah, they they approached Isaac and they would talk to him when he was younger about the fact that he is the promised son. Maybe they talked about how God is always in control or how God is always at work. They might have said, hey, Isaac, you are proof of God's promises. Maybe they did that. Maybe they didn't. I don't know. And and don't misunderstand this too, because when we read this passage, we could be like, well, Isaac's like five years old, eight years old, you know, maybe 10 years old. But scholars say he's somewhere between like 15 years old and 35 years old. My guess is he's in, most say that he's in his 30s. So my guess is that's where he's at. So he's a grown dude. 
He's a guy who can have his own family. He's not some little child there. Add to the fact that Abraham's also like well into his hundreds, right? So when, it, so when Isaac's hearing, hey, guess what? You're going to be the sacrifice. Isaac could have just put his dad in a headlock, gave him some noogies, pushed him down with not a lot of force and been like, not today. I'm out of here. I'm not going to be the sacrifice. Get out of here, dad. You lost your mind. You're crazy. You psycho. But the Bible says that he willingly took the wood on his back. He trusted his father and he walked up the mountain. I hope you see the picture here. Because many years later, another son would understand the heart of the father. Jesus would willingly bear the wood of the cross on his back. And he would climb a mountain for a sacrifice. Jesus knew what he was walking into because he trusted the Father's heart. Jesus was willing to lay down his life. We were dead in our sin, helpless and hopeless, but God provided through Jesus. So Isaac lays down on the altar. He's tied up. And just as Abraham's ready to raise the knife and and kill his son, God intervenes. I was like, stop, Abraham. Don't do it. I can only imagine Abraham probably hands shaking, probably is going, oh, thank goodness. Thank you, God, you know? And then it says that there's this ram, which again, interpretation, you read into the, the language there. It's still translated lamb. I don't know why they say ram, but it's lamb. It's the same animal. And so this lamb is stuck in the thorns. God has provided a way out. Listen, something had to die on that mountain. And the crux of this story is that God provided. God never, don't misunderstand this this story at all. God never wanted the life of Isaac. That's not the point. All God wanted was Abraham's heart. He wanted Abraham's heart to be revealed by this test. And so now God has a testimony of Abraham that he's a man who fears God. He's a man who has faith in God. He's a man who loves God, not just the things that God gives him. Abraham has a testimony of God, that God is a God who's faithful, that God is a God of promises, that God sees, that God knows, and that God provides. But here's what's cool. Isaac also has a testimony that his dad deeply trusts the Lord. Now think about this for just a minute. Because up until this point, God is the God of Abraham. Again, Jesus is going to come through this family line. And so this can't just be the God of Abraham. It can't just end there. This has to become the God of Abraham and Isaac. But then Isaac's going to have a son. And his son's going to be Jacob. So this is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Abraham is a man who has faith, but Isaac can't just borrow the faith of his father. Jacob cannot borrow the faith of his father or his grandfather. They need to have a faith of their own. Parents, just like the kids that we raise, our kids cannot borrow our faith. If you don't have kids, you cannot borrow the faith of your parents or your grandparents or your neighbor. You have to have your own faith. I love what we do in Awaken Kids. We come alongside families. And as you're trying to teach your kids, we're trying to help and resource you. 
I thank God for uh, Mindy and for our, our waking kids team over there because my kids have benefited from that. They know the truth. When they hear the lies, they know the truth. They know some of the stories. I don't do the greatest job every time of explaining everything to my kids. Jen does a much better job than I do. But what we're trying to teach the boys are re- is reinforced here at, at the church. That's why I love students. Our students are not just like any other youth group here. It's different, and it's different for a reason, because we want them to study the Bible for themselves. We want them to have a faith of their own. We want them to ask difficult, tough questions. We do our best to resource leaders in that, because God is big enough to answer any question that we have. He's not silent on those things. We want the kids of this church, of, of, of God's family, to know God, have a faith of their own. They can't borrow our faith. And if you want to be a part of raising up the next generation, man, we'd love to have you, resource you, teach you. You don't have to know everything. We all have to play a part in that. Because the next generation, we know where this world is going. It's not going in a good place. And so we need to be faithful to raise up. There's plenty of other religions that will raise up the next generation better than we're doing it as Christians. And we have the hope of Jesus. But let me add this as well. That when things are happening in our life, the difficult times, the hard times, the tragic times, those things are not happening because God's mean. God's just trying to pick at you. It might just be that God is trying to push out of you the faith that's inside of you so that your family, your coworkers, your classmates can see the faith and the love that you have with God. And they'd be like, man, I want to have that faith, that love in God as well. And so to commemorate the moment, verse 14, Abraham names the mountain. But notice what he names the mountain. Here's the name at Mount Trial, Mount Agony, Mount Obedience. He remembers God and his character. He says, the Lord will provide. Genesis 22 is a great picture of the gospel. Jesus in our place. And see, we've minimized sin in our culture. I don't know about you, but I've minimized sin in my own life. But we have to understand, sin is not just a mistake. It's not just a bad habit. It's not a little oopsie that we do. Sin is a big deal. And just like in Genesis 22, something was going to die on that mountain, on this earth, there will be payment for sin. Sin will be taken care of. As we close, I'll illustrate it this way. I don't know if you've ever had somebody pay your own bill before. Uh, we've, we've experienced that before. Maybe uh, you're at a restaurant, somebody paid your bill. Maybe at a doctor's office, somebody paid your bill. That's a blessing. Um, or maybe, you know, uh, you're getting coffee somewhere and, and somebody paid your bill and you're like, hey, I'm ready to pay. And they're like, no, it's all covered. You're all set. Years and years ago, I, we only had my oldest son, Brody, and uh, he, he couldn't have been any more than two years old. Like, I think he was, he was pretty young um, at the time. In fact, I think on that trip, he like, learned to walk, so he had to be younger than two years old. And so we, we're there. We're, uh, we're driving back from Atlanta. We kind of took a detour. We're driving back up to Clarksville. And at the time, there's just like Cracker Barrels all over the place Like during that stretch. Now, I love Bucky's, so if there was a Bucky's, that's where we would go. You know, I like that. That is the Lord's place as well. And... Um, <laughs> 
And so we, but we stopped off at a Cracker Barrel and we went there and, um, you know, we're just sitting there and Brody, again, very young, he has his little chubby hands. He's just playing the drums on the table, having a good time. And we order our food and it, it comes and, you know, we're just munching down. And uh, this lady comes up and she's like, you know, I've been watching your family for a while. And it's like, whoa, what's up, psycho? Like, what are you talking about? Like, this is not how we should start a conversation, but okay. And she's like, you know, I was watching your family and, um, you know, it really blesses me to see how you guys are interacting with one another. She's like, most families are, they've got their face in the phone or, you know, they're not really engaging with one another. And this guy, he's such a great eater. He seems so happy. You guys seem like you're doing a really great job, but it just really blessed me to watch you guys. I was like, okay, well, you know, Bible says, whatever you do, eat, drink, do all to the glory of God. So to God be the glory, you know? And so we do that, and I, I do the only sign language I know, which is check, please, right? And the waitress comes over, and she's like, do you need something? I was like, well, we, our family doesn't dine and dash. Like, we need to pay our bill. And she's like, well, that lady you were talking to, she paid the bill for you. Now, my first thought was like, well, dang it. Do you still have the credit card? Because I want some more food. Like, I should have gotten the bigger play. Like, what? <laughs> I wish I would have known. Like, Lord, reveal something, you know? That was selfish me. But then it, it, it hit me. It was like, that's a little weird. Like, I felt weird walking out of there. Because I was like, I don't know her. Like, she's not part of our family. She didn't sit at that table. She didn't eat that food. She didn't participate in any of that. But yet she paid the bill for us. And I share that with you to say, that's how it feels when you think about the gospel. Again, we could talk about the gospel. We could become so familiar with the gospel that we miss the weight of the gospel. And we think about the gospel and everything Jesus did for us. And there's a part of us where we're like, yes, Jesus paid the bill. And that gives us a reason to sing and a reason to celebrate. And we should be excited about that. But when you stop and you think about the things that you did, that I did, Jesus didn't do any of those things. Jesus didn't look at that stuff. Jesus didn't talk that way. Jesus didn't act that way. Jesus did not step across the boundary of God and say, God, I know more than you. I'm going to do things my way. I committed those acts. We did those wrong things. Yet Jesus stood in our place. He took on all of that sin, all of our shame, and he gave us the gift of eternal life. Jesus paid our bill. You can think of it this way. Hell isn't a place that God sends people that he's mad at. Hell is a place where people can pay their own bill. In fact, a pastor named John Piper said it this way. Sin is either dealt with in hell or on the cross. Who's going to pay your bill? Are you trying to pay your bill? Or will you let Jesus pay your bill? 2 Corinthians 5.21 says it this way, God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The great exchange is that we give God all of our sin and shame and we get the very righteousness of Jesus. So as we close today, I want to talk to two groups of people today. Those of you who don't know Jesus. Maybe you're here today and you're like, well, if I do enough good things, I'll outweigh the bad things. If some of you, you're here at church today because you think, well, God's going to be happy with me because I'm here at church. You're trying to do things. You're trying to pay your own bill. Stop trying to pay your bill. Believe in Jesus. Confess your sins. Admit that you're a sinner. 
Repent of those sins and turn to Jesus. Make today the day of salvation. But I want to talk to those of you who are followers of Jesus today. Because here's one of the most important and exciting parts of this whole story. Because as soon as Isaac is unbound, he moves forward. And the next scene that we see Isaac in is that he goes and he gets himself a bride. Jesus rose from the dead. He went forward. He got himself a bride. The church, us. One day, we will physically be with Jesus. Jesus is here, but we will see Jesus one day face to face. And that's really what communion shows us. Communion does a couple of things for us. One, it helps us look back. The story is reminding us of the sacrifice that Jesus made for us. But communion also points to the future when he comes to get his bride. So before we take communion, here's a few things that need to happen. We're commanded in the Bible to take communion in a worthy manner. And so if you're not a follower of Jesus today, communion's not for you. But if you confess your sins, you repent of those sins, you turn to Jesus, make Jesus the Lord of your life, then this is for you. But don't take it unless you're a follower of Jesus. But for those of us who are followers of Jesus, we need to examine our hearts. We need to examine, hey, is there anything that I need to confess? Is there any unconfessed sin in my life? Is there things that I need to lay at the foot of the cross of Jesus today? Is there a a relationship here with a brother and sister in Christ that's severed, that, that we're not getting along, we're not talking, whatever it is, and you need to make it right? Make it right before you take communion. Thanks for joining us for this message from Awaken Church. We'd love to hear how this message or the ministry of Awaken has impacted your life. Let us know at awaken.church forward slash my story.